You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be there some, and we'll also be in the Gospel of John. We have been in a season where the Lord has really been, I think, focusing our trajectory as a church. What are we about? Who are we? And one thing you hear Pastor Drew say often is that it's our desire, which is aligned with the Lord's, that we would be a Jesus people. And we've been in a season, which again, I don't believe it's just a season for a time. I pray that we would never deviate from it. But that we are in a place of giving Jesus high praise in a place of giving Jesus sacrificial worship, something that costs us something. I'm not talking about money, so to speak, but worship that costs us something. Maybe it's your dignity. Maybe it's looking silly. If you watch me worship, I look really silly. But to be honest, I don't care what you think. (laughs) Worship that costs us something, something something that's beautiful, beautiful before Jesus. Because I want, just like we sang this morning, I want Jesus to rest here. I don't want just weekend visitation. I want Jesus to live here. I want this to be his house. We're not a church if Jesus doesn't live here. This is his house. And so everything we do should be pointed at this one, King Jesus. And the world should look and say, holy cow, these people are radical about their king. Someone came to church a few weeks ago and they said, is it always this intense here? (laughs) I took that as a compliment. Yes, it is. It is. We are serious about this one who gave it all. We are serious about this one who poured out his life for us so that I I didn't have to be a slave to my sin any longer. I didn't have to be a slave to myself anymore. I didn't have to be a slave to alcoholism and addiction anymore, but Jesus saved me and changed my life and transformed my heart and sent me on a new trajectory that I didn't think possible. So why wouldn't we Why wouldn't our eyes be fixed wholly on this one King Jesus and lift up the supremacy and kingship of Jesus? And so I want you to know this morning, it's not, this is not like a little kick that we're on. This is who we are. We are a Jesus people. We are a Jesus people. And the moment we deviate from that, I might as well go work at Arby's or something. There's nothing wrong with that. But... Last week, the Lord woke me in the middle of the night, and that doesn't happen often to me, but the Lord woke me in the middle of the night and brought me to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 2. And it was one of those moments where he just began to speak to me about the fragrance of Christ. And I got up, and I just couldn't stop typing fast enough. And so I just want to take you through this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Amen. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the fragrance of the knowledge of God, of, of Jesus. That's an interesting 
phrase, the fragrance of Christ. Often when we think about the presence of the Lord, which the fragrance of Christ is just referring to the presence of God, the nearness of God, the, how we know he's near. And oftentimes we think about seeing God move or hearing his voice or feeling his presence. We don't often think about um, smelling him. Now, I'm not advocating we're going to sit around this room and just try to smell Jesus, literally. But it's, an, it's another representation of his presence, of his nearness. When Kayla and I lived in Iowa City, we had a neighbor who became a dear, dear friend of ours. And uh, you've heard me share about him before. He has since passed, but prayer warrior, intercessor, just such a gift to us. Uh, but everything about him was larger than life. His voice, his his build, uh, his laugh, his personality. And he always wore just this inordinate amount of cologne. And <clears throat> so when you go to his house, he'd give you a big hug and then you would smell like his cologne. And it wasn't necessarily a cologne that I maybe would have chosen, but it wasn't bad smelling, but it's just maybe wouldn't be what I would choose. And I would come home and I'd give my wife a hug and she goes, you've been with Chris, haven't you? <laughs> The fragrance, if we are the fragrance of Christ, we should, we should, people should be able to tell when we've been with him. Just like when the, the apostles are, 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 are testifying in, in the book of Acts, it says they could tell that these men, they were unlearned men, and they could tell that they had been with Jesus. What are the indicators of your life that people can tell that you have been with Jesus? And I pray that the fragrance of Christ would just be so thick in this place that when we worship, Jesus would come and he would stay here. That we wouldn't live with some Old Testament mindset that Jesus would come or the Spirit would come for a while and then lift, but that he would rest here. And he rests with the people who love him, who want him, who are not distracted or concerned with the cares of this world or lesser loves, but want Jesus. And in him is everything that your soul longs for and needs and desires. In him is every answer that you might need. In Jesus. And we, if we are with him, we will spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere that we could go home and give our wife a hug and she would say, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? But Paul says, thanks be to God who in Christ is always leading us in triumphal procession. Pri triumphal procession. Jesus is leading. He is the king and he is leading. Paul's referring to, uh, there's several things here and we'll get into it a little bit more. But in the, in the Old Testament, when a king would come and he had conquered a place, the, there'd be like a big parade and he'd enter a city and they'd all throw a parade and behind him were all of his warriors and followers and everything that he won in that war. This joyful, triumphal procession. And so as we follow King Jesus, we are his prize. <laughs> we are what he's won, our souls. And we follow Jesus in this triumphal procession and we continually fall, follow so turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 12. There's another triumphal procession. In a few weeks is Palm Sunday, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem as king. As king. 
But before we go to this triumphal procession in verse 12, I want to back up a few verses to the night before. Because a beautiful interaction takes place. There is this connection between the presence of God and our worship, between his fragrance, his fragrance as his presence, and us offering a pleasing fragrance unto him. In the Old Testament, they would offer incense, burnt incense that that would represent like a beautiful worship to the Lord. In Revelation chapter five, it says that there's the four creatures and there's 24 elders and they all have these harps and bowls of incense, which represent the prayer and worship of the saints. There's this divine connection between our worship, not just in our song, but in the worship that is our life, and his presence. We give God the glory We pour out worship, and God, in turn, pours out his glory upon us. His presence upon us. We breathe out our praise, and we breathe in his presence. It is the way we were designed to live. And so there's this beautiful story, and you heard me share about it this last summer. This is a a, a portion of scripture that we share about a lot, but we really can't talk about the events of the next day without first talking about Mary. So Jesus, this is six days before Passover, and Jesus is in Bethany. He's at Simon the leper's house, who's no longer a leper. He's just Simon. And they're celebrating all that, they're celebrating Jesus. It represents what we're doing here this morning. We're celebrating Jesus. They're also celebrating Lazarus being raised from the dead and they're throwing him this big party. So Jesus comes to Bethany. The heat is being turned up on Jesus everywhere. But in verse two, it says, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This isn't a very interesting like, event. Mary comes, they're having a party, and Mary sees this as maybe her last opportunity to offer her most precious sacrificial worship to Jesus. And she brings, the key word here in verse three is pure. Pure nard or spike nard, which was an expensive perfume it was most likely a family heirloom, something that they've been holding on to for a very long time, and it was pure. It wasn't watered down. Many times they would water it down to, to kind of spread it out, make it last longer, but this was pure. And the purity of her sacrificial worship reflect the purity of her heart in worship. And she takes this expensive perfume and she begins to pour it on Jesus. Now the gospel of John, he takes for granted that we've already read Matthew and Mark, which tells us that she poured it on his hand, head and his feet. So she begins to pour this oil on his head and his feet. And to be honest with you, the first time, uh, many times when I've read this story, I think that would have been a huge mess. The oil, oil everywhere. Have you ever spelt grease in your chicken or something or uh, in your kitchen or something? 
A couple weeks ago, we accidentally spelt a bunch of gravy right in that crack between the oven and the counter. And you're like, no. I guess that's the next person who lives here's problem. <laughs> Just kidding. But would you think about, the, would you think about the, what a mess that would have created? You know, Jesus is more interested in our pure, the purity of our heart than the messes that are created. Jesus can clean up a mess, but he, he can't force you to give his heart to him. He won't. He won't force you to love him. He won't force you to, to come before him with your most precious things and give him. He won't take them from you. But he invites us to come. He's not afraid of a mess. And it, it got all over it got all over the place. Anyone that was sitting near got it on them. And then Mary starts using her hair, which represents a woman's glory, the Apostle Paul says. Her glory. She starts giving Jesus all of the glory. And everyone stops in the room and watches what's happening. This beautiful display of worship. And the whole place was filled with that fragrance, that beautiful fragrance. This instant represents so many things. One, it represents, like I said before, just the purity of Mary's heart and sacrificial worship before the Lord. Jesus later says that it's also to prepare him for burial. But what she's also doing is anointing him as king. And isn't that the way of the upside-down kingdom of, of, of Jesus? <laughs> that a woman who is considered less than would be one to anoint Jesus as king. I won't get all into it this morning, but I'll share just a little bit. If, if you want to hear more about this, sign up for Jesus School. <laughs> But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the boy David is on the hillside tending the sheep and Samuel, uh, Saul has been rejected as king and Samuel is, is given the assignment by the Lord to find the new king and he comes upon this boy David and he is the new king. From the, from the voice of the Lord, David is anointed the king by God. But he doesn't assume the throne for 15 to 20 more years. And then you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 5, where Saul has is, is died. He's fallen on his spear. And David comes to a small village or a small tribe in Judah. And there it says, the people anointed him as king. So in 1 Samuel 16, it was God who said, he is the king. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, it says the people. And then in chapter 5, it is the entire nation who says this. It says they anointed him king. We can see in the beginning of the gospel of Luke, when an angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son, and he will be king. This is God saying, I'm sending the king. This is my chosen one. In John chapter one, we see the prophet, John the Baptist, 
where God hadn't spoken through a, through a prophet in over 500 years, and here's this man in the wilderness, and he says this, just like Pastor Drew said this morning, this is the Lamb of God. He is the King. He is the Messiah. He is the one you've been looking for. God later says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We can, there's no shadow of a doubt that, that Jesus is sent by God as king. Amen? And then we see in John 12, where Mary comes and she anoints Jesus as king. It says, I want you to be my king. It's one thing for God to say, this is the king, and it's, nothing, it's another thing for his people to say, this is our king, this is my king. And that is our heart for, that's my heart for this morning, is that God has already declared Jesus is king. <laughs> he's already declared it, but he's looking for a people who will say, I receive you as king. Jesus, you are our king, and we will have no other. In verse four, it says, but then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's more, worth more than a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. The purity of Mary's worship revealed the mixture in Judas's heart. And I know we're hard on Judas, but that spirit, that, that attitude of the heart that he lived in, it still is alive and well today. But Judas was more concerned with building his kingdom than the Lord's. And listen, we can put Jesus' name all over things, and it still can be something that he is not building. We are his people. We are his people. So God, help us to build your kingdom and not our own. Purify our hearts if there's any mixture in Jesus' name. Jesus goes on to say, leave her alone. In the other gospel accounts, he talks about how what she has done is so meaningful that it will be spoken about everywhere the gospel is shared in the world. This event will be talked about. And so many people heard that Jesus was in town and they start coming by. They start coming to where he was to this party. And you know what they would have smelled before they saw anything through the windows? They would have smelled that beautiful fragrance of worship. They would have smelled, what is that? Something so beautiful, so pure. It actually invites you in. So then in verse 12, it says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Some of the other gospels give a more detailed account of this, of what happens here on this Palm Sunday. But this is the, the very next day after what, what had happened the night before with Mary. And a great crowd had gathered and they begin to declare Jesus as king. This beautiful act of worship from Mary sets off a chain reaction of worship and, being, and Jesus being declared as king. Now great throngs of people are surrounding Jesus. And many of them can't see him, but what can they do? They can smell him. From the, night, from, from the, the beautiful act of worship from the evening before. 
they can smell King Jesus. And they just follow the fragrance. Follow the fragrance of Jesus. And there's crowds of people lifting up Jesus. Hosanna, meaning he is our salvation. This is our salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And all the while, at that same time, Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives to ascend to Jerusalem. And on the other side, on the the mountain, uh, the hill opposite to the Mount of Olives, there would have been pilgrims there worshiping. And they would have looked over and they would have seen and heard the ruckus that was happening of Jesus coming in, of people throwing their cloaks on the ground before Jesus. And when they don't have anything else to throw, they're ripping off palm branches, cutting down palm branches to put on the road before their king. All the while, there's hundreds, thousands of pilgrims across the way reciting Psalm 24, which says this, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. In verse seven, it says, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. Lift up your head, you gates. Lift up your head, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who is he, the king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. So they're shouting, they're singing this psalm, who is the king of glory, and they're seeing Jesus come. The king of glory. They're watching Jesus come. It's being lifted up as king. Amen. Let's just take a moment. Jesus, thank you that you're king. We thank you that you're king, that you lead us in a triumphal procession. King Jesus, how can we not look to you and be in awe of you, Lord? Yes, Jesus. Verse 14, John is reminded us of the prophecy from Zechariah. Nine, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See that your king is coming, seated on a colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign of Lazarus, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You know, when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. When Jesus is lifted in king, as king, the whole world is drawn to him. And that is our, that is our life on this world, in, in, on this earth, to lift Jesus as king so that people might come and people might know him. That he is the king. He is the one that can save their souls and heal their bodies and change their life. And so we continue as followers of Jesus just to follow the fragrance. To follow the fragrance. Worship team, you can come. We're gonna worship at the end here. This is such a, a exciting and incredible story. 
But listen, Jesus kept on going with that triumphal procession. And where is he leading inevitably? It's to the cross. But where were all these people then? It's fun when everything's exciting and everything is good, but when Jesus command, demands something from our life, we say, well, I don't know about that. He's leading that triumphal procession to the cross, and Jesus never lost his way. He knew why he came. And so we follow Jesus even now, we follow him to the cross, to that place of repentance, of dying to self. But we also follow him in resurrection. That he transforms us. We're born again because of what he did. And we follow, we keep on following. We keep on following. And then he ascends to the Father. And we'll follow him there as well. In this triumphal procession, we'll follow him there. In Ephesians 2, it says that we'll be we'll seated with him in the heavenly places. We just keep following Jesus. And I've been asking myself this week, how does the fragrance lift from a place? where we go on in our, in our day and we feel like we're just going upon the busyness of following God, but he's not here. And how does the fragrance lift? Well, we stop following it. We stop following. We stop bending our ear. Our hearts became, become calloused and hard before him. Things start going well for us and we think this is because of my strength and my power and my wealth that I've attained all these things. And we forget that it's the Lord God who delivered us from Egypt. Who changed us, who saved us. And so he continues to lead us in this triumphal procession. That the, Lord might, that the world might know this King, King Jesus. That's why we can sing these songs that we're singing this morning. All hail King Jesus. Let every knee bow before him. Let every tongue confess. You know, no one can make you bow. Like you can make you physically bow, but bowing is, an, is a posture of the heart, of submittedness. No one can do that. No one can make you do that. They can knock out your knees and you could fall to the ground and, and bow physically, but no one can make you bow in your heart. And one day, Jesus, everyone's gonna stand, the whole world, everyone who's ever existed is gonna stand before the Lord and say, he is the king. He is the king. And for some, that will be a great day of salvation, but for some, that will be a day of destruction. So we say, Jesus, in our hour, in this season, would we hail you as king so the world might know you, so the whole world would come after you in Jesus' name, that Ames, Iowa, and the, the region surrounding, Lord, would, would see Jesus as king and would see a people so in love with their king that they would come running to this one, to this one. Can we stand across this place? Lord, we're not building a kingdom of life point. We're not building our own thing, but we're members, children of your family, members of a kingdom. 
And we say again this morning, we say it a thousand times, we'll have no other king but you, Jesus. No other king but you, Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.